the fundamentalist fundamentalist. But here is something that he quoted, and I thought it was quite interesting that he said this. And this is pretty much the attitude of most of these independent Baptist churches that are out there today that are, have this belief. And it says, I think there are many who would like to be saved, but have been presented the faulty idea that repentance is turning from sin, and therefore they are, convict, they are convinced that they cannot be saved. Oh, if we would only make a salvation plain and explain to men that we are not saved by doing anything, rather we are saved by trusting in Jesus what he has already done. Partly that is true. But if you don't, if you're not repenting, yeah, if you're still doing the same things, exactly. You're not saved. If you're not, if you're still doing the same thing, the Bible says, "Bring forth fruits, right. meat for repentance," meaning proven for repentance. Yeah, if you're, it was like when I was twenty, I, I made a profession of faith, but I never repented. I stayed with my sin. Yeah. And then I did it again at 36, but this time I repented. Yep. And I asked the Lord, you know, and then you know I hear from the Lord. I, I said, well, when was I saved? It's at 36. Yeah. And here's here's the thing. Hi, Danny. Hi, Arturo. Hi, Alex. Um, here's the problem, and I'm going to give reasons for repentance. And it's very interesting. You know, it's kind of like, a, and let me just read an introductory statement to this. Many uh, independent fundamental Baptist churches have taken the position on repentance, that there is no need for repentance or that there is a limited faux pas to repentance. What is biblical repentance? The 1828 Webster's Dictionary states repentance as, and you ready for this? You boys ready for this? Here you go. You got this? You writing this down? I'm sure you aren't, but at least you could try. Why don't you write it down? You get your pens and papers on you? Here is the, here is the definition for Webster's 1828. And this is a really good definition. Um, real penitence. Uh, penitence means um, to, to declare or to know. Where it's kind of like a um, when you do penance, it means you're declaring, you're admitting your sin, you're admitting your guilt. Okay? So, real penitence, sorrow or deep contrition. What does it mean? Contrition it means a realization of your sin, a realization that you've done wrong and the sorrow for it. So pretty much really realizing what you've done wrong and realizing the consequences to the person that you've done wrong to. You write these down? Why not? You don't got a pen? Why don't you ask? Hi, Brother Lewis. Got a pen? You got a pen, Danny? Yeah? Maybe you should go get one, huh, Alex? I'll repeat this again. Real penitence, sorrow, or deep contrition for sin. Uh, penitence means uh, a declaration of your knowing your sin, uh, confessing your sin, realizing that there is a problem. Sorrow or deep contrition. Sorrow, everybody knows what sorrow is. Sorrow is this idea of in your heart feeling bad about something. Deep contrition is about the same way. It's this attitude of saying, I know I've done wrong. I know I, can, I need to change. I know what I've done has hurt others. A deep contrition for sin. As an offense and dishonor to God. So it's not just a repentance. It's not just talking about in biblical sense. 
It's not just talking about the idea of feeling sorry for what you've done to someone else. But instead, it's the idea that you're feeling sorry for what you did to God. No one else. God is the ultimate repentance too. Once you've repented to God, that's the first person you repent to, right? Show God your, uh, that you're sorry for your sin. So it's a deep, if you just walked in, repentance is a real penitence, a sorrow or deep contrition for sin. As an offense and dishonor to God. Here's the next part of the definition. A violation of his holy law. So knowledge that you have violated God's holy law. All right. Many people don't realize that you are either doing God's will or you're not doing God's will. And when you're not doing God's will, he, you're, you're violating God's holy law. And, the, I'm sorry if I'm taking a little bit longer. I want people, if you're writing it down, I want you to be able to take the time to write it down. And the basis in gratitude towards a being of infinite benevolence. I know there's a lot of big words in there. But in the basis in gratitude, what does that mean? What does ingratitude mean to you, Danny? Ingratitude. Gratitude is being thankful. What's ingratitude? Not thankful. Okay? Yes. What does this got to do with repentance, brother? Okay. All right. We'll go on. And the basis in gratitude towards a being of infinite benevolence. What does a being of infinite benevolence mean? Sure. Um, a violation of his holy law and the basis in gratitude towards a being of infinite benevolence. I know there's a lot of big words in there. Infinite is what? Oscar? It's saying we're describing what repentance is. Okay? Repentance is real penitence, sorrow or deep contrition for sin, as an offense and dishonor to God. So it's dis- describing what that dishonor to God is. A violation of His holy law and the basis in gratitude towards a being of infinite benevolence. Do you understand now what it's saying? Maybe you kind of came in halfway through the definition. Exactly. So they're saying a being of infinite benevolence. There's only one person that has infinite benevolence. Infinite means what? Miss Patty, do you know what infinite means? That's an affinity. Infinite is the idea of forever. Okay? It's like eternal. You ever heard the word eternal? Infinite means it just goes on and on and on. There's only one being that has infinite benevolence. Benevolence means kindness. Okay? So there's only one being that you can have, and that is who? God. That is a realization. Repentance is a realization that you offended a holy and a benevolent God. And also, this is called evangelical repentance. Now, there's two types of repentance, okay? There's legal repentance, and there's evangelical repentance. 
What's the difference? Danny, come here for a second. Danny Sharp, he's got this nice tie and red shirt on. Danny here, um, go ahead and button your suit up. Let's just say he's legal repentance, okay? All right, Lewis, come here. Yeah, you. Let's say that Lewis is evangelical repentance. Now, what's the difference between Danny and Lewis, okay? All right? Danny and Lewis. See, Danny, you know what? He's pretty slick. And let's say Danny has done something wrong, okay? Let's say he stole from Brother Lewis. Now, that's just wrong. He shouldn't steal from Brother Lewis. He works hard for his money. And he knows that if he gets caught stealing from Brother Lewis, what's going to happen? You'll get in trouble by who? Your mom, possibly Brother Lewis. You'll get in trouble by the city. They're going to come in, they're going to arrest you. Okay? Now, he will not, because he knows he's going to get in trouble, he'll repent of doing that thing. From stealing from Brother Lewis. Why did he repent of that thing? Because he was afraid of the consequences. Everybody understand what I'm trying to say here? That's legal repentance. Now, on the other hand, we have evangelical repentance. What is evangelical repentance? That's the idea that you don't want to offend God. It's not the fact that you're afraid that you're going to get in trouble. It's afraid that you're going to offend a holy and a just God. So instead, evangelical repentance, this is what would happen if Lewis was to steal from his dad. He wouldn't do it just because he was afraid of the consequences. He'd be afraid that he would offend a holy and a just God. Does everybody understand the difference? He turns from his sin because he is what? He loves God. Why does Danny turn from doing what he's doing? The consequences. All right. Go ahead and sit down. Thank you. All right. There is a difference in repentance. We'll give an example in the Bible. Does anybody know of the repentance of legal repentance of someone in the Bible very close to Jesus that had legal repentance? Yes. Judas Iscariot. What did Jesus say about him? He didn't repent after what? A godly manner. He knew he'd done wrong and the consequences for doing wrong. But you know what? He didn't repent for the right reasons. We as Christians, people that have been saved, when you repent to God, you're repenting because you know that you've offended a holy and a just God. It says here that this called evangelical repentance and is accomplished, I'm sorry, accompanied by and followed by an amendment to life. What does that mean? What is an amendment to life? Okay, it's a change. When you put it, if we put an amendment to our constitution, what does that mean? You change it, or let's give you an example. Does anybody know the amendment to the constitution that uh, prohibited alcohol? Do we know which one that was? I think it was. At one point in our country's history, it was okay to sell alcohol. When this prohibition amendment came along it paying illegal to what to sell alcohol okay everywhere you couldn't sell it you couldn't buy it you couldn't transport it if you did any of those things you're what you're breaking the law 
So when they changed the Constitution, or not the Constitution, but they put an amendment to the Constitution, before the Constitution said it was okay for you to do what? Sell alcohol. After the amendment, what happened? Yes, Oscar. There was no law, but it was still saying it was okay. So you didn't, there was nothing against it. So I'm giving the illustration. What is the amendment to your life? At one point, you were serving sin and you were serving Satan. And so, on the other hand, when you amend your life, you start doing what? No longer serving sin and serving Satan, you become serving who? God. Right? You start living by faith. You start doing those things that show what? Fruit. See, today, in independent fundamental churches, and I talked to a pastor not too long ago that told me that repentance was not necessary for salvation. Now, how can that be? And I'll give you proof through the Bible of things that show repentance that are important for salvation. You know, if I came up to Danny and says, Danny, come here, Danny. I'm going to use you, so be, be on your haunches, okay? Danny, you need to be saved, okay? Do you want to go to heaven, Danny? You do? Well, that's great. Do you, do you want to go to hell? No, okay. All you need to do is believe that Jesus Christ did that for you. What do you think? Danny prays a prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe in you. Amen. It sounds good, doesn't it? I trust in Jesus. I believe in Jesus. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. I think everybody had to believe and trust in Christ to come to salvation. You had to believe that trust in Christ that God had raised Him from the dead. But there comes another point. And that is a willingness to turn from your sin and turn to who? So let me ask you this question. Danny just, quote unquote, made a profession in his faith. But we never told Danny that he was a sinner. And that his sin was sending him to hell. And that God is greatly offended at his sin. What happens? Danny gets saved. Does he change his ways? Does he start doing the right thing? No, because why? There was no repentance. There was no attitude of repentance. You come into churches today, a lot of churches today, and you'll find people like Danny. They might have made a profession of faith. And you know what? But there's no regeneration. There's no new start. There's no faith that God is going to change his life. Instead, what has happened? He's still the same old Danny. There's no Holy Spirit dwelling within him. And so what happens is we get people that go out there and do the same type of witness that I just did with Danny, and they come into the church, and what happens? They think they're quote-unquote saved. And you have a church full of them. What's going to happen? Is there going to be people that want to do God's will, live by faith, expand their knowledge of what Jesus Christ wants to do to them? Or instead, have you found a church full of unregenerated people that have no desire to serve God? I think the, rap, the, the latter. How many understand what I'm saying? Go ahead and sit down. How many understand what I'm saying? Repentance is necessary for salvation. Now, some of you, if you missed some of it, I gave a definition of repentance, and this is from the 1828 dictionary. But I'll give you the last part. He says, repentance is a change of mind or a conversion from sin to what? To God. Now, I gave earlier, I gave a quote by Curtis Hudson. Actually, if you guys got your hymnals in front of you, Curtis Hudson, 
See, if you see those hymnals in front of you, Curtis Hudson, if you go through your, your hymnals, you will find that any reference to repentance is taken out of it by Curtis Hudson. Did you know that? Why? Because he didn't believe that repentance was necessary for salvation. I'll go through these quotes later. But he said, I think there are many who would like to be saved that have been presented the faulty idea that repentance is turning from sin. And therefore, they are convinced that they cannot be saved. Oh, if we would only make salvation plain and explain to men that we are not saved by doing anything. Rather, we are saved by trusting in what Jesus has already done. How many agrees with that statement? No, I'm being honest. If you agree with that statement, raise your hand. If you don't agree with that statement, tell me what's wrong with it. Okay. It says here, it says, I think there are many who would like to be saved, but have presented the faulty idea that repentance is turning from sin, and therefore they are convinced that they cannot be saved. Oh, if we would only make salvation plain and explain to men that we are not saved by doing anything, rather we are saved by trusting what Jesus has already done. What do you think, Oscar? You shook your head back there. Why? Why is he saying? What is his reasoning? A one. So what was what was his problem? What was his sin? He was covetous, wasn't he? Well, that was a good illustration. Thank you, Brother Juan. Um, but I I have to say that the reason why Curtis Hudson said that is because he 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 wanted people more more people to be saved. But really, he was taking out the ingredient that helped people be saved, which is repentance. Change of mind and a deep sorrow and contrition of your sin. See, if we don't have an important stress, the importance of sin in people's life, they'll never change. Because why? They don't have the Holy Spirit. And that is why we're so important today that when we're witnessing to people, we're showing people the gospel. It's not just uh, 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 believing in Jesus Christ. The Bible says that the devils believe and tremble. Now, if that's the case, shouldn't those demons be saved? Amen, Brother Harold. The demons got saved. Amen? What do you think, brother? Huh? But the Bible says that we are, and there's plenty of verses that support it. Brother Juan gave just one of them. But there's plenty of verses that support it. Alright, I'm going to give quite a few verses here. So if you guys want to get your Bibles out real quick. And you're exactly right. And that's what we're going to... I'm going to give out these verses and then I'm going to read an excerpt from one of Ray Comfort's books that I uh, got a chance to read some of it this uh, last holiday. Okay, you ready? Here we go. Uh, If you want to take a verse, uh, I'll just start here at the beginning. Brother Andy, if you could read Acts chapter 3. Don't have your glasses. Okay, Danny. If you could read Acts chapter 3, verse 19. 
Okay? And what, keep, turn to it and we'll get to you in a second. Okay? Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. Artudo. Luke 13, 3 through 5. Alex. Brother Glenn, Mark chapter 1, verse 15. Don? Matthew chapter 3 and verse 2. Brother Lewis, Acts chapter 17, 30 and 31. Araceli, <clears throat> Mark, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 3, 7 through 9. Claudia, Luke chapter 3 and verse 8. Raina, Luke chapter 15 and verse 7. Oscar, Luke chapter 24, 46 through 49. And Brother Juan, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. Alright. Sorry for those on this side. If you wanted to read one, you can take it from somebody over here. It's up to you. Alright. This is what uh, Ray Comfort says in his book. He says, uh, the title of the chapter is called Phenomenal Growth. Growth. We live in exciting times. All around us are we seeing the phenomenal rise of mega churches. I'll try to slow down, Brother Juan. I realize I read fast. With congregations in the tens of thousands. Pockets of revival have sprung up in the United States and other parts of the world. And we've heard of millions of people in Russia and China and Africa coming to the Savior. One evangelist, for example, claims that his worldwide tour has led nearly one million people to make decisions for Christ since 2007. A denomination reported nearly 2.5 million decisions for Christ in 2008. One international organization reported over 10 million decisions for Christ in 2009. And another ministry has seen an incredible 45 million documented salvations worldwide in just six years. These are indeed exciting times. Yet with all the excitement about the growth of the contemporary church, it seems they have overlooked a few statistical inconsistencies. Before we look at these, I am reminded of a doctor who said to his patient, I have some very bad news for you. Your heart is extremely weak. And any bad news would kill it. <laughs> so how is your heart? I have some really bad news for you. As you're, you hear it, please be consoled that there is a cure. An October 2003 survey conducted by Barna Group found that 45% of those who profess to be born-again Christians believe that gambling was morally acceptable. According to the survey, 49% believe that living with someone of the opposite sex without being married was morally okay. Just under half of those questioned, 49%, were comfortable with enjoying sexual thoughts or fantasies about someone, while one-third, or 33%, of those professing to be born again thought it was okay to kill a baby while it was still in the womb. In 2001, a survey conducted by Alan Gutmacher Institute in New York found that 13% of abortion patients described themselves as born-again or evangelical Christians. That is, of all those who actually murdered their own unborn children, nearly one in eight professed faith in Jesus Christ. That is difficult to reconcile with the fact that Christians are supposed to love God and love others as much as they love themselves. Additionally, uh, 
In 2009, the Barner Group found further evidence that is not well with the contemporary group. Among individuals who describe them Christians, for instance, close of, to half believe that Satan does not exist. One third contend that Jesus sinned while he was on earth. Two fifths say that they do not have responsibility to share the Christian faith with others. And one quarter dismissed the idea that Bible is accurate of all principles that it teaches. So let's just think for a second. If we didn't have Jesus Christ, it wasn't a perfect and he wasn't a and he was a sinner. What would happen? What would that mean to you and me? What would that mean? Naomi, tell me, what would it mean if Jesus Christ was a sinner? What would that mean to you and me? Hmm. Girls, be thinking. I might ask you next. Lizzie? Why? Why would not we not have eternal life? Okay, that's a very good explanation. Here's a verse that would explain it even further. For as by one man sin, sin into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. Right? The Bible tells us pretty clearly that the reason for sin is while we're sinners. But it takes one man to enter the world to what? Take away all sin. And that's what Jesus Christ. That means we would have what? Instead of incorruptible seed, we would be what? Corruptible, okay. Jesus Christ, if he was a sinner and did not was not a perfect human being, how could we even come close to coming to God and saying Jesus Christ is God? How could we come to Jesus and come to heaven? We would have nothing whatsoever. It would take away every reason. So as you see here, there's no repentance with these people. They have no understanding. They have no uh, wonderment of what their Christian life could be. And I think it all goes back to this idea of just a belief in God, but not a belief that Jesus Christ saved and that they have to repent of their sins and put their faith and trust in Christ. Okay, Danny, go ahead. Read it loud and clear. Okay. Well, how is... Say again, what does it say? Repent and what? And be converted. For what? Okay. A lot of um, fundamental Baptist churches believe... I'm going to use a new word for you guys. Ready? How many ever heard of the word faux pas? I love that word. I learned it. I actually knew it, but I just never understood what it meant. Faux pas means a false step. Okay? You ready for this? So, you guys got a new word? What does faux pas mean? Liz? A false step, okay? There's a lot of independent Baptist churches that believe that there should be repentance, but it's just a repentance in the idea that you just repent of your unbelief. What's wrong with that, Oscar? Okay, there's a faux pas, huh? false step. Believing, believing that there is a... Uh, that you need to repent, but you just repent of your unbelief. Because that's the only thing that sends you to hell, is your unbelief. 
from one sin, right? It's not a willingness to turn from everything. It's just a willingness to turn to what? From unbelief. Okay? So, in a sense, what are you telling people? Yeah, you can go ahead and keep sinning. There's nothing wrong with it. Okay? And they, some of them say, well, you just need to turn from uh, your belief that you can get yourself to heaven and turn to the belief that God can get you to heaven or what Jesus Christ can get you to heaven. What's wrong with that? Same idea, isn't there? There's this idea that you have to believe that it's just because of your belief. Jesus Christ was very clear. What was it? That was the. Go ahead, read that again. How is your sins blotted out? Repenting and what? Converting. Read the next verse. Okay. How does the Holy Ghost come upon us? When we repent, right? And the Bible also is very clear there. And what else? Not that you need baptism for salvation, but what? It's important, right? It's to show other people that you've been saved. Alex, go ahead. Now, everybody knows that verse and the importance of that verse. Can somebody tell me what was happening right before that verse? He was telling them to repent. Read the verses before that for me. The verses right before that. Did you miss it already? Okay, go ahead. Read it. Okay, so what do you think that's saying, Alex? He was telling them what? He says, you know what? Those guys perished as well. Why? Because they never did what was right. They never repented. He says, unless you repent, you shall likewise perish as well. Brother Glenn. Mark one fifteen, right? Now, was there anything about believing Jesus Christ? What did it say, Brother Glenn? It said, believe what? Yes, believing Jesus Christ is important. But he put the first thing in there. What did he say? Repent, right? Zach? Oh, okay, go ahead, Don. Well, again, it just seems like he just keeps... It's just clear as the nose on your face. Every time he talks about the kingdom of heaven and being entrance to the kingdom of heaven, what was there? There was a what? A word of what? Repentance! It's important! Don't forget it. Lewis, go ahead. Um, I'm sorry. Acts 17, 30 and 31. Pero Dios, habiendo pasado por alto grandes días 
Okay, so we find here that in verse 30, and at this time's ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Pretty clear, wasn't it? What was he saying? It says in verse 31, because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained. Who is that man that he hath ordained? Who is that? Jesus Christ. And judge the world in righteousness by that man whom we have ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, and that he hath raised him from the dead. Okay? God has given us the ability to be able to know that Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. But does he stop there? No, he says he commandeth all men everywhere to what? Repent. Repentance is necessary. Araceli, go ahead. Okay, so we find here that Jesus was rebuking the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and he says, "Oh, generations of vipers, who hath what warned you to flee from the wrath to come?" Here they were; they were listening to the preaching, and they were hearing it. And he says in verse eight, "Bring forth what? Therefore, fruits meet for repentance." What does it mean, meat? Meat is the word; it's a rare. Uh, it's proper, it's fitting, it's suitable, becoming. The idea that you are going to show, your repentance is going to show how you live. No longer are you going to continue to curse. No longer are you going to continue to live a immoral lifestyle. No longer are you going to drink. No longer are you going to do the things of this world. But it said what? You're a changed person. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. When you repent, what? You're no longer heading in that direction. You're heading in a different direction toward Jesus Christ. That is what repentance is. Alright. Next verse. Um, I don't know who I chose. Go ahead, Claudia. Okay, so here we find in Luke where it's the same um, connotation there, same uh, incident. Luke describes to them that they need to be bring forth fruits, meat for repentance. Alright, so Luke chapter 3 and verse 8. Luke chapter 15 and verse 7. Go ahead, Miss Reina. Oh my goodness, what is Jesus Christ saying here? He's saying, listen, one person that repents is better than people, 99 people that doesn't repent. Okay? Does anybody see the importance of repentance yet? Why we need to repent? 
Okay? I, I, I understood, uh, you know, not everybody is, when they're first saved, understands what the idea of repentance is or the understanding of the word repentance. Did you understand what repentance was when you were saved, brother? Not exactly, did you? But you knew that what you were doing, the way you were going, was not right. The second time I understood it better. Okay. I know when I was 12 years old that the way that I was heading was wrong. I knew I was heading down the wrong path. But at the age of 12, I repented. I started going the right direction. I started, you know, this is the way God wants me to be. This is the way I need to go. Listen, so many kids make that decision to get saved, but they never really repent. And they say, well, oh, what do they need to repent of? Well, maybe you're lying. Maybe you're stealing. Maybe you're gossip. I don't know. God wants you to repent of it. To change and turn your back on that sin and go in the right direction. So I don't understand when someone gets saved how there can't be a total dependence on God. How can if you're saved and you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, how is there not a willingness to be in church? How is there not a willingness to be there and be faithful to God's house? How is there not a willingness to give? How is there not a willingness to be faithful to those things that God has given you an understanding on? I told my wife, um, you know, she says we, we see these kids on Facebook that we knew growing up. And some of them, they, uh, the girt ladies especially, they, they get pregnant. And then what happens? All standards of modesty and decency go out the window. They don't see a reason to be modest when they're pregnant. And I told my wife, I says, you know, if they didn't have an understanding of modesty when they, when before, and they, they never had one in the first place. God gives us those understandings. I talked about not too long ago, is the land that God has given us, we're not to forsake. Listen to me, if God has given you something, it's an understanding you will not forsake at all. You say, this is what God has told me to do. This is the way I should be. This is the way God wants me to go forward with. God has asked us to repent. Now, repentance is not just necessary for salvation. But listen to me, repentance goes even further into your Christian life. When God gives you something new that you know that you need to take care of, you repent of that. Not for salvation, but repent for the idea that, you know, God has told you to do it. If you need to do something different with your children, and you need to repent of the way you were going before, you say, God, I'm going to start doing that. Repentance is necessary for the Christian life. We've got a couple more verses, and I don't want to forget those. Luke chapter 24, 46 through 49. Who did I give that to? Oscar, go ahead. What was to be re- what was to be preached? Naomi, what was to be preached? Repentance. You say you just need to preach that people need to believe on Jesus. Amen. Right? Is that all? No, he says repentance for what? For the remission. God has given us the importance of repentance. And one last verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 7:10. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 10. Brother Juan, you want to read that for us?
lot of today, a lot of Christians are having a lot of people that claim to be Christians have what? The sorrow of the world. Who had sorrow of the world? As Danny mentioned earlier, who had sorrow of the world? Judas, didn't he not? He had sorrow of the world. He didn't have godly sorrow. Look at that verse again. It says here, it says in verse 10, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to what? Salvation. Godly sorrow. Realizing that you have offended a just and holy God and you could no longer continue in that path. And through Jesus Christ your Lord, you are going to repent of your sins and turn your back on God. Brother Lewis, you're back there saying, Brother Harold, you're talking about that heresy over there. What are you talking about? i got a question for you though. Alright? What's the difference between someone that just turns over a new leaf and someone that gets saved? You say repentance, right? Someone, I, maybe I'm using some uh, phraseology. Someone that just starts doing things right because they know it's right. Let's give you an example. Uh, someone that decides, I'm no longer going to smoke. They have no other reason for it. They're not saved. They're not in church. They're not trying to be faithful to God. They just want to quit smoking. Or they want to quit drinking. What's the difference? Be- Hold on, this is for Brother Lewis. I want him to think through it. What's the difference between someone that does that and someone that gets saved and repents? Okay. What is helping the one that's doing it by the will of God? He has someone that indwells within him. The Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is what? Our comforter. He's the one that's going to help us. He's going to encourage us. The person that's doing it just by to turn over a new leaf or by the, like Brother Lewis says, the will of man, eventually is going to fail. Why? Because there's nothing there to help him. We are sinners by nature. Sinners do what, Danny? Sinners do what, Naomi? Sin. And if we're sinners by nature, do you expect someone that's a tiger not to eat meat? By nature, they're what? Carnivores. They're meat eaters, right? Yeah, if a tiger goes out and just starts eating corn, and, and uh, oh, that, that, uh, those clover leaves look good out there. I think I'm going to have some of that. And maybe have some catnip. Yeah. What do you think? There's something wrong with that tiger. It's the same way with the sinner. A sinner does what? He sins. Okay? We cannot stop ourselves. No matter what. But the Holy Spirit can. And that's where people get confused. They want to say, well, you're just trying to uh, advertise for work salvation. You're Arminian. You believe that you have to do good works to go to heaven. No, I don't. I really believe that Jesus Christ is the one that died on the cross and saved me from my sin. And I can't do anything good to get me to heaven. But I do believe that Jesus Christ wants me to turn from my sin and put my faith and trust in Him that He will help me follow through to turn to Him. Does everybody understand that or am I not making myself clear? Yes, Oscar.
Exactly. So I got three reasons why I think repentance is important. First of all, God commands it. Commands it. How many did not see these verses of repentance, the importance of it? Secondly, I believe there is no regeneration without it. What do I mean by regeneration? Regrowth. I don't think you can, if you're not saved and totally accepted Jesus Christ your Savior, there is no change in your life. You will never change. You'll always be the same person. As I said before, sinner sins. And that's what they always will do. And lastly, corruption and modernism will leak into the church because of no Holy Spirit. If you go back into the 1700s, right before the beginning of the Revolutionary War in America, there was a thing called the Great Awakening. And you know what happened with the Great Awakening? Liz, are you a history buff? You like history? Steph, you like history, don't you? Can you tell me who was the one that helped out with the Great Awakening? What preachers? A couple evangelists? And what was his famous sermon? Okay. Do you remember what the other evangelist was that was a very hot and heavy preacher? Who? Uh, you could conclude him, but yes. Who? George Whitfield. But these men, they preached against sin. They preached against the importance of sin. What had happened was people were getting into the church and they were literally, I'm, I'm being serious, they were literally unregenerated. They were not saved. And so you had a church full of unsaved people. And what happened? Modernism started to creep in. What happened was is these kids would come to the church that thought they could ride on mommy and daddy's coattails, never got saved, never accepted Jesus Christ their Savior. And so all of a sudden, all this modernism started leaking into the church. And why is that? Because there was no repentance. There was no fruit meat for repentance. And these children were what? Still children of the devil. So let me give you some... I don't have a lot of time. Um, I just took a couple of quotes that I thought were very important of some men in the past. And here's something else. I mentioned Curtis Hudson earlier. Here's something that I thought was very interesting. You heard the quote that I mentioned earlier where he says that, that this faulty idea that repentance is turning from sin. Listen to what he said earlier. He said, <laughs> I read this and I thought, he must have believed in repentance at one time. He says, There is no doubt that all men from Adam on have to repent in order to have a relationship with God. The importance of repentance demonstrates by the fact that men of every biblical age preached it. Same guy said this, I think there are many who would like to be saved, but have presented the false idea that repentance is turning from sin. Therefore, they are convinced they cannot be saved. Oh, if we can only make salvation plain and explain to men that we are not saved by doing anything. Rather, we are saved by trusting in what Jesus has already done. He changed his path, didn't he? He was going down one path and he decided, no, I don't want to do repentance anymore. And I believe, really, I really believe what it was is he wanted to see numbers. He wanted to bring glory to himself. Here's just a couple of one of my favorite preachers, Charles Haddon Spurgeon. There's a lot of big words in here, but he defines evangelical repentance. Evangelical repentance is repentance of sin as sin. Not of this sin, nor not of that. Sound very familiar what I talked about earlier about repenting of unbelief? But of the whole mass. We repent of the sin of our nature as well as the sin of our practice. We bemoan sin within us and without us. We repent of sin itself as being an insult to God. Anything short of this is mere surface repentance and not a repentance which reaches to the bottom of the mischief. Repentance of the evil act 
and not of the evil heart, is like men pumping water out of a leaky vessel, but forgetting to stop the leak. Some would dam up the stream, but leave the fountain still flowing. They would remove the eruption from skin, but leave the disease in the flesh. Charles Haddon Spurgeon. I I hope that I gave you a greater understanding of the repentance because let me tell you something, it is an epidemic in independent IFB, independent fundamental Baptist churches today that you don't need to repent. And you'll find that these churches are weak, weak churches. And why is that? Because they're not regenerated. Alright, let's stand together in a closing word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we're grateful today, Lord, that we can be able to understand through Your Word the importance of repentance. I ask You, Lord, just to help us, Lord, as we have this service. Lord, I pray for me as I preach this morning's service as well. I pray that Your will would be done. I pray for those, Lord, that are still trying to make it here. Give them safety. In Jesus' name, Amen.